Welcome to The Secret Life of Entrepreneurs. Stay tuned to meet today's guest and hear their story of what makes them tick, what drives them to succeed, and their role in growing a thriving business community. The Secret Life of Entrepreneurs chronicles the success and secrets of locally owned businesses and owners. Listen in live as we discuss their secrets and learn how they are making a positive impact in their community. You're listening to your host, Barb McGrath, business leader, entrepreneur, and founder of the Get Found on Google program. Let's get started. Today's guest knows all the lawyer jokes, and in fact, he's been known to tell more than a few of them himself. Corey Furman is the owner of Furman IP here in Regina, and they focus on intellectual property law. So if you've ever wondered whether what you're thinking or building can be covered, he's the guy you need to talk to. Corey, welcome. Thank you for being here. Well, thanks. Well, thanks for having me. I uh, I didn't bring you a good lawyer joke today, but uh, but I love a good one like as much as the next. So just if you're going to tell me a lawyer joke, just make it really hurt. <laughs> Excellent. And you know, as a profession, uh, you guys certainly get beat up. So I think that helps to build that thick skin somewhere along the way, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, what what drew you to law? You've been practicing for how many years now? I finished law school in 1994, so uh, I feel old saying that because I guess that means about 25 years, something like that, 25, 26 years, yeah. Uh, And have you always focused on intellectual property? Since I started my firm, so when you're, uh, when you finish, law school is kind of like accounting, you got to do articles first, so I did my articles with the Saskatchewan Justice Department in uh, 94, 95, and then, uh, and the economy back then being what it was for lots of people that are watching who were here then knows there weren't a whole pile of jobs around. So I created my own job, mm-hmm. uh, and decided I'd start an IP firm because uh, it was always something that had, uh, it's always something that had interested me and, uh, and with, uh, with nothing better to do and wanting to stick around Saskatchewan because I had met my well now wife at the time, mm-hmm. uh, not wanting to leave. Uh, I thought I'd give it a try. So, uh, Borrowed a couple thousand bucks in an old computer from my dad in a way I yeah. went. You know, and you hear that story so many times, right? Borrowed a few dollars from mom and dad and back in 94, yeah, you could borrow a couple thousand dollars. Nowadays, it's a little bit more expensive to, to get set up. Um, mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about the types of businesses that you work with then. So my practice is in the area of intellectual property law and strategy. So um the uh, I do patent a uh, patent and trademark and copyright work are, are sort of what people would more typically kind of equate that to. They're a little simpler words. Um, the uh, but why so I help lots of everyone from individuals through to large companies uh, protecting patents, trademarks, copyright. I do uh, a little bit of litigation work, although uh, in general, especially with domestic and local clients in Saskatchewan, we're not a litigious bunch. We all seem to get along. So uh, that's not so bad. Um, So 
a lot of the clients that I work with, like I have a very, I, it's pretty cool because I get to work yeah. with lots of, different, lots of different companies of different sizes in different industries. Um, and I mean, another interesting thing about, uh, so uh, another piece to that is not only helping people to sort of figure out and file and protect their patents and things like that, but also, I mean, the most interesting part of it to me is sort of just helping clients to figure out the rest of their IP strategy, including their export strategy. Like I love doing international work. Mm -hmm. So I help people who are exporting to uh, kind of match up their IP footprint in other markets, uh, whether those are other markets elsewhere in Canada or outside Canada, sort of help them to match up the, the timing and the footprint of their IP portfolio in the US or in Europe or wherever as they, uh, as they go along. So I've got to meet a ton of interesting people in those yeah. 25 years or whatever, both from clients to lawyers in other countries and stuff like that. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. So um, is it primarily product uh, work or even from a tech perspective, if I want to develop a piece of technology and let's say an app, but I want people around the world to use it, is that considered exporting or how does that work? So when I started in uh, the 90s and through for the first 10 or 15 years, and it could have in part been just the nature of the people I had in my team at the time, uh, we did a lot of uh, work on agricultural implements, uh, oil and gas inventions, stuff like more more mechanical type uh, inventions. Mm -hmm. I always have had a bit of an interest in software kind of stuff. Through it's, uh, I uh, I I found it. I found it in my old Commodore 64 in the garage the other day, which I won't really? let my which I won't let my wife throw out because it's because I'm a nerd. And, uh, you want to try and turn it on? Like, what can you do with it? I haven't tried to turn it on, but uh, but so uh, I always had a bit of interest in software. Literally, probably in the last six or eight years, over half of my patent practice would probably be with software companies. So mm -hmm. helping people to, to protect uh, different uh, and whether it's uh, you know sort of online things or offline. It's a lot of uh, a lot of the innovation in in the province these days is being done in those areas. I still. I still get to do lots of interesting work with some of the same old, uh, older sort of client relationship, like ag manufacturers, oil and gas companies, those kinds of things, but um, lots more software now. So like I say, which has probably just kind of been, I kind of have fell into a niche that I enjoy. Right. And uh, one of the things I love about my business, I kind of, kind of work on my own and get to do what I want and, uh, exactly. and work with, work with people and companies I like. So. And you know, that's one of the benefits that people don't often talk about being a small business owner. You get to move direct essentially every day. And if you get too picky, then margins get a little slim. And if you, you know, get a little too generous, well, then you're dealing with clients that you don't want to work with. And so, yeah, there's a lot of freedom that comes with picking your clients, knowing the work you want to do, right? It's something that I've really come to value. So I just want to touch on this software thing because I know that there's a booming market here in Saskatchewan, uh, app developers, software developers, things like that. So that's tough to copyright because whether it's a website or it's an app, it's not hard to get to the code anymore. So how do, um, how do developers protect themselves? Well, there's in, so there's a few interesting issues in the in the in the, in the context of software protection. So you first, I mean, and I mean, one of the background issues you even have to deal with is um, doesn't necessarily it does impact how you protect it is even whether you're using open source or proprietary development tools. 
Um, so because if you are, as lots of people are now, developing in whole or at least in part on some open source platform, then if, you're, if your eventual plan is to monopolize your idea or your technology by patenting it or something, that factors in. You can still do it most of the time, but you got to kind of, it's just something you got to be careful about. Um, with software, I mean, there's really, you can patent, you, it, software is patentable in certain circumstances um, where it's actually achieving a novel result. Uh, so if it's, if it's basically capturing and transforming data to yield a, a new commercial function. I, that sounds kind of wishy-washy in terms of an answer, but uh, the it's gotten a little more difficult in the last three or four years, at least, to actually patent software in the U.S. because the definition that's being applied in the U.S. PTO is a little different than it was before. It's being applied. They haven't changed the rules, really, but they're applying them a little differently. But so patents are uh, patents are there as a, as a tool to kind of try to protect the actual functionality. And then there's copyright in the code, in the code, in the interface. Um, so, and the copyright is oftentimes how you would protect the code um, right. itself. Lots of times clients would contemplate doing both. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes there's, I mean, lots of times, even whether it's software, even in some other industry, lots of clients who are being maybe a little more aggressive or serious about protecting themselves from an IP perspective might try that multi-pronged approach of, um, I mean, you'd also be able to protect the brand that you use on it, on it. So, you know, you have a trademark there or something, but the primary way that you would protect uh, the, the core of a software development mm -hmm. would be, um, would be with patents and copyright. And then the other piece, the other way you can protect yourself against certain parties and one of the questions oftentimes clients have to ask themselves in terms of uh, IP protection strategies what are you trying to protect yourself against or who are you trying to protect yourself from um, so whether that's I'm trying to protect myself from my customer not paying their license fees anymore I'm trying to protect myself from my competitor ripping me off uh, I'm trying to protect myself from the developer going across the street and and taking the crown jewels with them yeah. they're all approaches and and so one of the one of the other pieces with software is that in addition to patents and copyright we still try to rely pretty heavily on on contract too mm -hmm. so you can actually even where there's an there's not otherwise an IP right that exists mm -hmm. uh, you can kind of create some inter-parties rights by agreeing to okay. well, to whatever. So lots of times what clients will want to do in the software space is um, and particularly in the gig economy now where there's lots of people working on contract, like if they're not employees, because if you're an employee coder, there's a statutory presumption that your employer owns your work. Um, yes. But if you're, uh, and those vary a little bit from country to country, but uh, there is generally speaking an understanding that if you're being paid by your employer, to develop, then the fruits of your labor will be owned by the employer. Um, the but contractors, for example, or even uh, small businesses procuring development services from, like, if you go out and just get some guy to gig it up and develop something for you, mm -hmm. um, 
the, one of the things you probably want to contract with somebody on is you want to contract in respect of ownership of the copyright, ownership of the IP and the software. And you frankly, ideally want the developer to agree that what's created is yours. It's now, yours. Honestly, honestly, one of the issues you're going to run into is the developer is not going to want to agree to that. Um, now, there's lots of times there's fair ways to deal with that because mm -hmm. you can actually, um, you can actually say, look, I mean, because lots of lots of times what developers want to do, they're just like lawyers with our looking up in our computer system, our precedents and reusing them. Mm -hmm. uh, the developers want to reuse their their uh, they want to reuse, you know, libraries, code snippets, whatever, for some different purpose. I mean, they're yeah. not even necessarily going to go and, uh, you know, uh, they're not even necessarily going to go and, uh, you know, copy and, and resell your, you know, dog haircutting scheduling app to somebody exactly. else. Who's going to compete with you in dog haircuts right. but there might be some little bit of the programming that they did that could be useful in another project someday where they're okay. you know developing a scheduling app for use by a massage therapist or something mm -hmm. like that yeah. frankly you probably don't care uh and that's probably the thing that primarily the developer would be concerned about so i i think that lots of times the way we address that is is to say look the customer the, I, I'm purchasing the, the development service and the software from you and I want to own it, mm -hmm. but I'm prepared to agree in a way that you can feel free to, in a non-competitive way, reuse whatever you want. Exactly. And then that's lots of times, there's a middle ground there that usually works. So one of the conversations that I'm seeing primarily coming out of the U.S., um, I primarily work in that creative industry, and no, I don't know don't any small business or local businesses that trademarked their brand and their name. So most of the folks who tune into the show are either friends and family of one of you and I, or small business owners. So what is typically what you're seeing like i don't want to say advise because i know that puts on a legal hat but you know should a small business owner be thinking about um, trademarking their brand trademarking their name uh, is that an arduous process how, how do you usually approach something like that i mean the short answer to whether it's an advisable thing to do is i think it is i mean effectively to register a trademark and whether that's your sort of key house brand product names you're using, whatever, something, if it's a brand, even a logo, different through, you know, different kinds of non-conventional trademarks, identifiers, source identifiers that you use to kind of, to your benefit, to identify your product or service to the public. I frankly, I think registering your trademarks is effectively cheap insurance. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, because the person who is the first user is really the person who's entitled to the registration. Um, so lots of times we will like, I mean, I typically tell people if it's a, if it's a reasonably straightforward Canadian trademark registration, you know, cost wise, you might spend $1,500, $2,000, something like that, uh, start to finish to get a registration done. Um, and at the end of the day, if that sort of crystallizes your place in line, I would say it's cheap insurance to somebody else coming along and creating a headache behind you somewhere. It's not a particularly arduous process from a client perspective in particular. I mean, for example, like in, in, in my firm, I like 
I consider it my job to make it as easy and painless for my clients as possible to mm-hmm. you, you tell me what to do, pay my bill and I'll, and I'll leave you alone. And, exactly. I'll, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll come and tell you when it's done. Yes. Yes, <laughs> and exactly. so I'll come and tell you before it's done because the current, one of the current problems in the Canadian context is the Canadian trademark office. It's, it's embarrassing. It's, it's taking three plus years to register <gasps> a trademark in Canada right now. Get out. So, Three, okay, so oh. if somebody started the process, though, so you would never even know that that trademark had started. Somebody else could start the process as well. How in the heck does that work? Well, so what happens typically the way you keep on top of that is to when you would be actually, I would argue that it's maybe even too late when you've got to the point of okay, you've already started using it and you want to just file it. But at some point, when you're picking a brand or picking a trademark, uh, it's a good idea to do a search uh, because if we do a search, we can search for business names, previously filed applications, which would come up. I mean, they'll come up within a couple weeks of being filed in a search. Um, and But it's there were some changes made to the Canadian Trademarks Act a couple years ago that effectively we now, in a very simple way, have a pr- pretty much a first-to-file system. So uh, filing date is very important. Okay. Um, so we kind of set it and forget it. I mean, we'll stay on top of it every six, eight months and see what's happening with it. But I mean, it's literally taking, currently it's taking pretty much two and a half years from the time we file for, for the trademark office to get to the point they look at the file. Frankly, once it gets onto somebody's desk, it moves pretty quick. It's maybe another six, eight months and it's done, but it's, it's, they're way behind. Uh, and in fact, um, we can go and file I had a client here not so long ago where we filed in, you know, six other countries and uh, the six other countries, we were done the registrations in all of the other countries before we had even heard anything from the Canadian trademark. The Canadian. It's, it's, it's awful to be honest, because trying to explain this is a big, a big part of my practice is also doing Canadian work for foreign companies. So I help foreign companies who are protecting their marks or their patents or whatever in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, it's embarrassing to have to explain this on behalf of the Canadian trademarks office that, well, look, we can do our best, but it's going to take this long. So suffice it to say, it takes a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's a good idea to get your stick in the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and then if once you file and, or even regardless of if you file, mm-hmm. um, if somebody copies you and, and, or is infringing your rights, you can still basically seek to enforce on a common law unregistered basis. It's the better. It's better to do it with a registration, just because the evidentiary burden flips, and it's a lot easier for the trademark owner than it is for the potential infringer. But uh, so that's probably me rambling on there. But certainly, I think it's it's, it's a good idea to do it, um, in part because of how long it's going to take to come out the other end, and and yeah. and when you do want to get to the point that you can it's it's and that's another reason why actually when you're picking brands or trademarks it's also a good idea to do a search because honestly it's going to take two three years to come out the other end of the sausage maker um the uh, what you probably want or pretty much need is um like when we do a search, we'll write an opinion that says, and I mean, we're responsible for the accuracy of our opinion that says, look, we think that you can or can't get this registered based on what the current state of the register is. Um, and so, because 
you can't sit and wait for three years to launch your business. Yeah, um, exactly. And you should, and you shouldn't have to. Um, but particularly if you're even if like if for a client who's looking at doing licensing or franchising, if you're looking to franchise things like that, um, your potential franchisee, one of the things they when they get to the point of due diligence with the franchise lawyers, one of the things they're going to say is, you know, basically under the franchise agreement, the value we're getting from this arrangement is by and large access to the brand. What can you tell us about the, is, is the brand protected or protectable? Mm -hmm. So at that point, if you can flip it out on the desk and say, look, according to the lawyers, it is. Uh, okay. Hopefully you're not going to flip it out of the desk and say, oh, we asked for an opinion and they said no way, but I still want your money. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, so there's, I, I think that searching and clearance work like that becomes even more important given the timing and delay and just be, frankly before, whether you're a small business or a large business, you don't want to pile in and spend a bunch of time and resources on developing uh, any equity in a brand that's walking on somebody else's rights and that you're sooner or later going to have to step back from. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting to me about that is I remember when I registered my business, uh, I remember searching the Canadian database for a business name. And I, in fact, I didn't have my first choice because there was a Canadian registration. So in the end, I registered a second alternative and, you know, sort of picked from, you know, whatever the, the choices were. And then here in Saskatchewan, uh, as long as you meet ISCs, uh, you know, benchmark and you actually describe the business, then they could care less. But then you watch what happens. Businesses go and promote themselves under whatever public brand they want. So, yeah. you know, that whole area of branding and trademark and what belongs to who and that would be very interesting, I imagine, from a search perspective as you start to get into some of that. Well, certainly, I mean, there's different sort of degrees of searching we would do. I mean, everything from a quick and dirty search of the trademark database just to tell you, look, this looks like a good idea or a bad idea to even search anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can give an opinion on registrability based on what's in the trademark register. So whatever somebody's filed as a trademark before, yeah. um, in the Canadian context, the Canadian Trademark Office, at least right now, they don't search for business names and those kinds of things. All they search is trademarks. So okay. it's, a narrow, it's a narrower data set. But if we do a more comprehensive search, which is the other kind of a search that we most often do, we search trademark register to give an opinion on registrability. And then we do an adoption opinion effectively. Like, can we okay. see... Is there anything latent that we think you're going to infringe somebody in the marketplace, even if they don't have a registration? And what that searches is business names, publications, websites, domain names. Uh, yeah, that's all that, very all, broad. All that, all that kind of crap that's out there because um, there I'm getting into my real legal terminology now, all that kind of crap that's out there. <laughs> but uh, but all, all, that, all those added sources of unregistered uses because yeah. – a prior user still has some rights, which um, you can find uh, in a worst case scenario, you could have something that's registrable, mm -hmm. but there could still be some, you know, mom and pop shop in some corner of the country somewhere that has been using something confusingly similar in the same kind of a business. Uh, and you roll into town and want to set up three franchise outlets and, mm -hmm. uh, and all of a sudden there's a problem because yeah. you're somebody else is effectively in front of you in terms yeah. of a, 
of an unregistered common law use. So different different set of data. That's that's typically the level of assurance, like clients that are looking to franchise, for example, or expand. That's typically the level of assurance I would suggest to them that they probably want, mm-hmm. because particularly given the time that it's taking right now, you need as much certainty as possible before you're going to jump in and spend the money, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, Corey, it's funny. One of the things that I really enjoy about doing uh, this podcast is when I get business owners talking about what they love and what they do and who they are, it makes the time evaporate. And in some cases, like literally, I will ask eh, two, maybe three questions and the entire time period disappears. Right. And so, yeah, I'm watching you talk. And of course, I'm watching the clock, which we have like one minute left. Oh, excellent. So, yeah. exactly. I've, never, I've never been accused of not being able to talk. Or- exactly. Yes, exactly. Uh, so on that note, then, Corey, wrap us up. Like, tell tell us when should we be calling you and, you know, where do we find you online? Give us your little spiel. Yeah, well, and certainly if, uh, if companies are either looking to proactively just sort of even do an audit to see what they have for IP assets or kind of figure out what, if anything, might apply to their business, uh, or if they find they have questions specifically about trademarks, patents. Honestly, even if you just have a sense you have some IP that's worth protecting and you don't know what it is, I mean, I'm happy to try to try to give you a hand and help you out with that. I mean, you're able to uh, certainly reach out to our firm by phone in Regina here. Uh, we have clients all over Saskatchewan and Canada and around the world. Easiest, frankly, probably the easiest way to start is just to punch up our website, which is just firmanip.com. Um, we're in the process of getting a little, even we're in the process of getting a little chatbot finished on there that will um, kind of maybe help you to figure out if you have some real basic questions, maybe might try to help you figure out, well, I think I have a trade secret question versus a patent question or something like that. But mm-hmm. we're happy to hear from you and, and sort of answer uh, answer any questions that way. Um, that's probably the, and then social media wise, you can look me up on LinkedIn and connect there or whatever. But uh, probably the easiest way to start is to, just to kind of jump on our website and have a look there and then uh, reach out to uh, reach out to my office from there and somebody in the team will be happy to help. I, uh, I love, uh, I, I love just getting to talk to people about their, about their businesses and their ideas. And, and my dad used to tease me about this, that I was the only lawyer that he knew of that, uh, that, uh, liked a good field trip, but I still make house calls. So, uh, <laughs> there's nothing I love. There's nothing I love more than getting out on the factory floor. So, yeah. uh, so <laughs> I'm happy to talk to people about uh, about about things anytime and just sort of help them try to get uh, get pointed in the right direction. So uh, have a look at our website. Like I say, there's a reasonable amount of information in there. We're just a new site, so it's just we're just kind of trying to get uh, even. It's interesting because if people have questions, we're trying to get some more information on there to kind of address what people's usual questions would be. Um, and then from there, I'm happy to have a chat anytime. Okay, that sounds awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, Corey. I really appreciate just even a little bit of insight around, you know, trademark and that local business or, uh, you know, any kind of intellectual property that someone's working on. So uh, hopefully the phone will ring a few times for you after today. And if anyone else would like to be a guest, they can email me at barb at googlegirl.ca or reach out on Facebook and Instagram at above the fold CA. 
Just a reminder, you can even submit questions in advance of our show on our Facebook page. I'm your host, Barbara Grath, local business owner and Google girl. Remember, you worked hard for your success. Don't keep it a secret. Bye for now.